I don't know where you come from, what your background is, but as I like to say every time that we gather, that we get the chance, uh, perhaps maybe you came into this space and you're uh, new here, maybe you have been here in a while, maybe you have been here every single weekend, regardless of where you find yourself, I want to remind you today that when we come into this place that we're a family, that we can come and draw strength and wisdom, support for each other, and I hope more than anything today, and I hope that you hear me more than just rhetoric, but you believe what I say, uh, that you experience a place where you can belong, where you can wrestle with questions, that you can find God in a real and tangible way. And uh, I don't know what you're going through today, but God does, and that's the good news. And he takes moments like these and has an ability to bring clarity that humans cannot bring. And so I'd like to take a second just to open up our time together before we dive into the Bible this morning uh, with just prayer, just to open our hearts. You're already here. Uh, so can we just open our hearts together, open our minds, and ask God to do something special in our lives today? Can we do that? Let's pray. God, we thank you for an opportunity. We, we stop and we think about that. We thank you for an opportunity to come into this space today. God, we thank you for an opportunity to open our minds once again. God, we thank you for an opportunity to open our hearts once again. God, we ask that you would do what only you can do. That's why we're here, because we're desperate for you. We need you. We need answers. We need clarity. We need hope. We need healing. We need help. God, would you meet us in this place? Today, would you do what only you can do, God, for the person that has been trusting you for some time now, for the person who is brand new on this journey, questioning your existence, would you meet us all in a real and unique way? We ask these things in your name. Everybody said, amen. Well, did you sleep good? Did you? How many people in here like dream when you sleep at night? Hey, can you guys hang with me for a minute? Because I'm going to do some stuff in a second. How many of you like dream at night? Do we have any, do we have some dream, do we have any dreamers in the house? <laughs> How many of you like, it's like lights out, nothing, and then you just wake up in the morning? Any of those? I'm one of those dudes. Like, I don't know. Man, I got a kink in my neck. You ever got a kink in your neck? Nothing makes me more angry than when I get a kink in my neck. I mean, that just really, there's three things in life that anger me. Kinks in my neck. Flies also bother me a lot. And then number three is when I got one nostril plug. You ever been there? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Not both, just one. Makes me very angry. Anyway, Matthew chapter 14. Um, <laughs> I'm going to read out the NIV this morning, and we're actually going to look at two different uh, passages of Scripture that tell the same story. If you understand the way the Gospels work, uh, they're different accounts of many of the, of the same stories from different perspectives. So when you're studying Scripture, which is really important because we believe that the Bible is our guide for life, it's important that you, veer, uh, that you kind of look and peer into not just uh, what's being said in a certain scenario, but the entire context of what's, uh, what we're trying to communicate. So I'm going to read it from two different books. For, uh, for the purpose of kind of bringing out some nuance that's in uh, one that's not in the other. Uh, I want you to understand kind of what's happening here, maybe just for context's sake. John the Baptist, uh, who is a pioneer, we'll talk about him in just a second, has just been beheaded. He's been murdered, uh, been killed, and uh, he was really close with Jesus, and Jesus is just finding out that John's uh, been killed. And so this is where we pick up the story. So in Matthew chapter 14, it'll take us a, a little bit of time to get through this, but I think it's really going to be helpful today. Matthew chapter 14, in verse 13, says this. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, speaking about the beheading of John the Baptist, it says this, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Everybody say solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed, it says this, and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and because of this compassion he had on them, he healed their sick. Verse 15 says, as evening approached, the disciples came to him, and they said this. This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can get, go to the villages to buy food for themselves. And Jesus replied, and he says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples responded, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. In fact, another account talks about that it's actually a young boy's lunch that has these five loaves and, and, and two fish. Jesus says this, bring them to me, he said, and directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. The Bible says they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up after they fed everybody from the loaves and the fish, up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So think about the magnitude of this miracle. Let's look over in Mark chapter 6. There's a little bit of, of nuance there that I want to bring out. Verse 30, Mark 6, verse 30, it says this. Again, after the beheading of John the Baptist, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. 
Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Everybody say quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. Again, it says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By the time, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's very, very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus again, he responded, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wage. Are we to go spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Verse 38 says this, Jesus responds, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. It's the boy's lunch. Then Jesus directed them, to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They ate, they all ate, and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men and women who had eaten, the Bible says, uh, was 5,000. So today is uh, Super Bowl weekend. So this weekend is huge for sports, which are a cultural pacemaker for our society. Despite the petty disputes as to which team you'll root for, sports have a way of bringing people together. Many will gather together today for food, laughs, family time, Super Bowl commercials, and just pure love for the game. There are a few things that have done as much for work ethic, the team mentality, motor skill development, social skill development, and father-son relationships like the recreation that comes from athletics. So today, before we act like they're not a big deal, as if there's something futile and unimportant, may we recognize the inarguable good they bring to our society. The unity they create in this world is clearly divided. The date nights they provide, the bonding that ensues, the outlets they create for expression, spaces to let go of the pressures of life just to be present, uninhibited moments, free to be a kid again. Consequently, it becomes quite debilitating when we lose someone who was not just incredible at their game, but at bringing people together. This last week, Kobe Bryant, along with his daughter Gianna and seven other precious individuals, passed over from this life to the next, tragically and without warning. Stopping the world in its tracks as the internet and conversations were flooded with words filled with expression and feeling, not Kobe. Please let this not be true, but it was. All of us there and confronted with its seeming finality, sending us into a tailspin of questions. Why? How? Overwhelmed with confusion, emotion, torment, the sobering reality that these people who we loved, we treasured, looked up to, drew strength from, even without them knowing it, were gone. And most of us, we were just fans. You see, on this day, a wife lost her husband. A husband lost his wife. Brothers and sisters lost siblings. Parents lost their children. And in turn, the world lost its confidence. It's confidence that we're all okay, that we're safe, that we're invincible, because we're not. We're fragile. Life is fragile. A gift, a gift that here doesn't last forever. It's a vapor. There's an expiration date. We are not here forever, so we have to make it count. We have to remember what's really important and to ruthlessly, fearlessly, selflessly let go of what isn't. It's clear that the effect of this tragedy while housing the proverbial home of athletics has little to do with athletics and more to do with what matters. Passion, family, unity, ethic, motives, a desire for more, more experience, more joy, more presentness. When I think of Kobe Bryant, I don't just think of basketball, I think of impact. One man of doubt, undoubtedly human with the passion to do what he loved and to share it with those he loved uncompromisingly aware of what matters. A man of faith who from his own mouth reminded us all that God is great. May we all be granted the gift of clarity to see what matters most in the days to come. Not the wins nor the losses, but how we play the game. To all the families who lost loved ones in this horrific tragedy, we grieve with you, we pray for you, and we attempt to move forward with you and with those whom we loved, even if at a distance, forever in our hearts. This morning, I, I wanna bring some thoughts and ideas out because it's interesting, and thank you guys, it's interesting what 
what this concept, what this uh, confrontation that we have, this relationship that humans have with tragedy and what tragedy can do. Tragedy has this way of disrupting life. It has this way of stopping life in its tracks. It has this way of shaking up, like literally, it, it shakes up everything that you think that you know and makes you question everything. I don't know if you've ever been in this position in life. When I'm talking about tragedy, I hope that you understand that it's relative because I'm not just talking about losing a loved one, although that is horrific. I'm not just talking about tragedies like we experience in our world, although those can be included within the context of the conversation that we're having this morning. Tragedy wears many faces, but it's experienced all the same. You can experience tragedy in your life as it pertains to your vocational life, as it pertains to relationships with your children that maybe go south, relationships with your family members. Tragedies are these things that I thought it was going one way, and somehow, some way, abruptly, things change. It sends you into a tailspin where you have questions. You have more questions than you have answers. Usually it looks like why, how. What does this mean? God, how could you let this happen? Why am I in this position? Why are we in this position? And I think, what's, I think what, what it really does is here's what, what, what tragedy forces us to do. It forces us to come to terms with the reality that we hate, that we are not in control. Like this is why tragedy is so, this is why tragedy in your life, whether we experience it culturally through things like 9-11, through terrorism, whether you experience it when you lose a loved one, when you lose your job, when your relationship with your kids go, when, when you experience tragedy financially, it's this, it's this sentiment, it's this feeling, it's this face-to-face -face with reality. But you don't got this thing covered like you thought you had this thing covered. You don't, got, you don't have your mind wrapped around this thing like you thought you had your mind wrapped around this thing. Isn't it funny how as humans, like, we get a little bit of life under our belt, and all of a sudden, we think we know how life works. We think that we've cracked the code. We think that we're invincible. We, th we think that we could do anything. We could take on anybody. And yet, when we come to terms with these situations, man, they can be burdened. This is why a lot of people give up on their faith. This is why a lot of people give up on their family. This is why a lot of people give up on their life, literally and figuratively. Why? Because I don't understand, because it's overwhelming. And at the same time, tragedy also presents... A great opportunity. You see, in the narrative, the context of the story that we're reading this morning, Jesus has just experienced a tragedy. John the Baptist, think about this. This is not John the Baptist grew old and, and passed away. He was, he was beheaded. It's a tragedy. It's something that, man, why, why did this happen? We, we, we didn't see this coming. And if you understand the relationship between Jesus and John, for those of you in this room, maybe watching online today that don't, John the Baptist was this forerunner for the message of Christ. Meaning, we get to come and we get to say, oh, that we're Christians. But before there was Christianity, before Jesus was actually in his ministry, you, everything that you read about Jesus was within three years. It's really quiet about the 30 years of his life that he was just growing up, living, being a carpenter, all these basic things. And yet John was actually in ministry. John was traveling around throughout the wilderness. And John was, was, was publicizing these ideas that, that God's gonna, God's, God has a game plan to turn away from your way and look to God. God was, Jesus, John the Baptist was this, this forerunner that actually gave credibility to Christ. I don't know if you realize this. Like the only reason that, that people said, I think, yeah, this Jesus guy is somebody is because John the Baptist stood up and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like th this, is, this is who we're talking about. So, so, so the, the magnitude of the person, could you imagine how this would rock the world of Jesus and the disciples when they find out that this hero in the faith, I mean, we, we get a glimpse of it within sports, but, but I'm, the he, hero in, in the faith, man, has, has been beheaded. But it wasn't just a, a relationship of Jesus being a fan of John. Jesus was family to John. They, they, they were cousins. Could you imagine the relational bond that they had to, that they had to, navigate through maybe the ups and downs of just being human and, and going through life? Could you imagine the dreams that they would sit around and talk about? Again, Jesus being all God, but equally all man, all human, to be in this position. And the Bible says that when Jesus hears about the passing of John, the first thing that he does is he withdraws. When life gets heavy, when life is burdensome, when you experience tragedy, I don't know who I'm going to talk to this morning, when you have more questions than you have answers, Jesus withdraws. He, 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 he steps back. It says that he goes to a place 
of solitude. I'm here to tell somebody today, when you're feeling overwhelmed by life, when you don't know where the answers are, when you don't know up from down, when you're trying to build a business and it seems like it's just not working, when you're going through relational trauma and you think, man, what is this? I'm trying to do things right. And it seems like every time I try to do things right, things turn out wrong. What is your tragedy? When you're going through tragedy, the last thing that you need to do is grind more. The, the, the last thing, see, and, and, and this is, what, I love our society, and I love our strong work ethic, and I love the things that we say that we got we to gotta push, but I hope that we're pushing for the right thing. I hope that we're pushing through the right things. When you're experiencing pain, the thing that you don't, you don't, need, you don't need to just push through the pain. No, you, you need to step back. Why? Because rest, rest gives clarity. This is, this is, the, this is the idea. When, when I experience things that are heavy, I don't just need to keep getting through it. I don't just need to keep pushing through, pushing through the days and just, man, another, just keep, I'm just going to keep on, keeping on. No, sometimes in life, I, I need space. I think, some of us, I think some of us would rather work than we would rest because work feels more productive. But some of the hardest work that you will ever do in your life is taking space so that you can have perspective. Why? So, so, that you can get, so that you can get clarity. I wonder sometimes if this is the reason. You know, you read the story about Jesus' friend Lazarus, Lazarus who dies, and Jesus finds out that Lazarus is dead, and the Bible says that he spends three more days. I wonder if Jesus, being all God but all human, has one of these moments like me do, like we do. Like, Jesus, God, what is this about? What is, the, what is this situation about? What does he do? And he just, anytime he's in this moment of what is this about, he doesn't make decisions. He doesn't make decisions. He doesn't get on the phone and call. He, 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 he withdraws because there's something about rest that gives clarity. I want to challenge some people today to reevaluate your value system. Some, what am I talking about? Work. How do you define work? Sometimes the greatest work that you will ever do is taking space to get perspective. You need, you need perspective. When, when you take space from the pace of your life, I think this is why most people don't see actually what you possess. You don't see what you really have. You don't see the capacity of what you, you don't see what's really in you because you're just grinding and you're hustling. So you can't really see with clarity what it is that you're up against, what it is that you're facing, what it is that's in your heart. This is why a lot of you in this place, you don't even know what your dream is. What are you dreaming about? Uh, well, I, I, don't, I, just, I just work. You ever been there? I found myself there. When I look at my life and what are your dreams? I don't really have any because I'm just so busy. I'm just so busy grinding and hustling and working. Sometimes you need space so that you can get clarity. Here's what happens. If you're having trouble getting clarity, if you just feel worn out and moody and tired all the time, if you have more questions than you have answers, I'm here to tell you that you need some space. When you slow down, all of a sudden you start seeing things that you wouldn't see before. I have a friend of mine, uh, he texted me the other day because uh, his wife just had a baby, so he, he gets to take maternity leave, which is funny, right? Like now, now the guys get to take maternity leave. I'm like, what'd you do, bro? Uh, <laughs> We know what you did, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> but he texts me, he's like, bro. I'm like, what? He's like sitting at home, you know? Uh, he's like, God's speaking to me through M&Ms. I'm like, what? <laughs> he's like, I'm sitting here eating peanut butter M&Ms and I feel God tell me, you see those M&Ms? <laughs> I'm like, tracking with him. He's like, uh, he's like, all M&Ms are different colors, shapes and sizes but they're all still M&Ms. He's like, it's kind of like people. Like, we all come in different colors, shapes, and sizes. He says, the only difference is God's not going to eat us. I was like, yeah, you got that right. <laughs> What's my point? <laughs> when you slow down, when you create space, you gain new perspective. You, you start seeing things and things that you never would have seen before. Sometimes the answers that you're looking for are right under your nose, but you're working so hard to get to the place you think you want to get that you're missing the answers that you need. When life is heavy, when life is burdensome, you don't need to push, you need to pull back. I've talked about this principle before. It gives you perspective, and you know what it gives you perspective of? A couple different things. I think first and foremost, it gives you perspective of your purpose. It, it, it shows you, uh, it shows you this, this idea of what really matters. I mean, isn't this, this is the opportunity that tragedy really presents. You, you start to see, wow, all the things that I've been thinking. I thought it was this, and I thought this mattered, and I thought that mattered. But when I look at the fragility of our life, when I look at, man, just, just how life is so much of a vapor, all of a sudden I see that what matters is, is something bigger than the things that I'm working to present. There's my purpose. The Bible says that when Jesus withdrew from the hustle and bustle of ministry, what happens? His purpose once again reveals itself. He, it says that he sees this large crowd. 
And as, he, as he's in this place of rest, his heart is once again stirred with compassion to help. What, what is it? It's this idea of, yeah, there's things that I don't understand, but there are things that I do understand. There's this inward magnetic pull towards certain things that tell me that this is the reason for which I was here. I think a lot of times this is why you lose sight of your purpose. You ever been in a place where the thing that you used to be passionate about, you start to hate? Like, maybe this isn't my passion anymore. Maybe this isn't my purpose anymore. And it's not that it's your, it's just that you're, it, anytime you have to do the thing that you love to do, you stop loving to do it. When you create space in your life and you, can, and, and you can look, all of a sudden God begins to once again reveal your purpose. Here's the other thing that, that, that space gives you. It gives you clarity as to what are the real problems to solve. Life is full of problems and issues. But a lot of times we obsess over problems and issues that really aren't problems that need to be solved. This is, this is what tragedy, this is what moments where we have more, more questions than answers, this is what they present. It. So isn't it funny how tragedy brings people together? I mean, I, I remember times in, in ministry growing up and experiencing different things where people would, they'd be bickering within the church or within relational circles and someone would pass away and all of a sudden it was the weirdest thing. It was this opportunity. Everybody started, like people that hated each other yesterday were hugging and crying on each other's shoulder today. Why? Because it reveals to you that sometimes the problems that you think that you have aren't really the problems that you have. And if you spend your life trying to solve the wrong problems, you will never experience a life of greater things. You'll never experience a fulfilled life. As long as, you think, as long as you think that the problem is the people around you, the problem is your money, the problem is your finances, the problem is your president, as long as you think that these are the problems that you need to solve, you will never experience a more than, greater than life. The disciples come to Jesus. And it's funny because Jesus, has, he's overwhelmed by the situation of John the Baptist. He takes some space. When he takes the space, he sees his purpose. Man, I know I don't understand the situation, God, with John, but, but I know that I'm here. I know that I'm here on assignment. My heart is moved towards compassion. Here come the disciples. Hey, Jesus, can you send these people away? We're out here in a desolate place, and they need to go get, get some food. What's ironic about this situation to me is that, one, remember, remember the story that we read? In one passage of Scripture, it says that Jesus went by himself to a solitary place. The second passage of Scripture that we read from, from, from a different book in the Bible, it says that Jesus invited the disciples to go to a solitary place. What's funny about Matthew, Matthew's written by, Matthew's written by a disciple, so the disciple doesn't include the fact that the disciples were invited to rest. Mark is not written by a disciple, it's written by an assistant of a disciple, and he, and he includes that they were invited to rest. Why? Because there's times that you can be resting and still not be rested. I'm not, don't think that I'm talking about you need another vacation. <laughs> I'm talking about you need space for perspective. What, what is true rest? I think we see it in the creation story. Six days God worked and on the seventh day he rested. And what, what did he do? He sit back and look, look what the Lord has done. You know what true rest is in your life? When you get space in the place that you feel most confused and you don't look at the things that you're confused about, you just start evaluating. I know I'm confused about this, but look what the Lord has done. When, when you don't have clarity in your life as to what God has actually done, when you're focused more on your problem than the things that actually God has pulled you through that you don't understand, when you focus on the wrong thing, you're always trying to solve the wrong problem. They, the disciples think that the problem is the people. Jesus said they, they don't need to go away. You're solving the wrong problem. First of all, can I tell you that you're here to solve problems? My dad talked about this briefly last week, this idea that you have authority to change things on this earth. In fact, when we read throughout the litany of Scripture, you, you can have a lot of confusion as to what your purpose is because it's very expansive. He'll tell you to love your neighbor, and then he'll tell you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He'll say to declare liberty to the captives and, 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 and sight, to, sight to the blind. Well, what am I supposed to do? You know what all those things have in common? Solve problems. And as long as you think that you're, that you're here to avoid problems, we have this mentality that the way that I solve my problems is get my problems to go away. Jesus, the peop these people, they're hungry. Can you just send them away? They don't need to go away, he says. Your, your, <laughs> your problems don't need to go away. Why? Because you're, you're, you're here to fix hell on earth. You're, you're, you're here to find a need and meet it. You're here to find things that are broken and to fix it. This is your purpose. This is your assignment. That's what you're here to do. You're here to walk into situations and, and, solve, and solve problems. You're here, you're here to be a problem solver. It's what God has placed you on, on the face of this plan to do. So you can't, but we live our lives avoiding problems, don't we? 
trying, trying to, to get rid of them, trying to escape them. As long as we're trying to escape it, well, what am I saying? As long as you try to escape your problems, you, you can never step into the life that you really truly want. You're put here for a purpose, and you're, you have everything that you need to solve the problem. You just can't see it. See, they, they're, they're intimidated by the problem because of, of how big it is. Do you understand? This is, this is human tendency. Jesus says, Jesus, can you make them go away? You give them something to eat. Do you know how much that's going to cost? Do, do you know what I'm going to have to go through to solve this problem? And that's why you don't like me telling you that you're here to solve problems. I don't like the way that, that sounds. Why don't you like the way that sounds? Because that sounds like a lot of work that I don't want to do. I'm not I don't want to solve no problems. Right? Why? Because, you're, because you think this is how your mindset is. Pro you're intimidated by your problems. Do you know how much it's going to cost? That's, that's half of your wages. What, you think that we should spend all that, you should make all that energy and all that effort on solving these problems? It's funny. Jesus doesn't even answer their silly, silly question. Instead, what he says to them is, what do you have? What, what do you have? A lot of times in life, we're so focused on what we think we don't have that we need to solve our problems that we miss out on the thing that we do have, and the thing that we do have is actually the only thing that we do need. So they look, picture this. So they look around. So Jesus has clarity. They don't. They, they, they look around. They say, well, we don't, we don't have, what, what do you have? We don't, we don't have, there's a kid here, there's a boy here, and he has a lunch. He has loaves, bread, and he has fish. And Jesus says, bring it to me. So Jesus takes, <laughs> picture this. Jesus takes the bread and the fish that came from a boy's lunch. Like, are you tracking with me the narrative of this story? 5,000 men, not including women and children. Like, you have a serious problem on your hands. They're hungry. The disciples want to sit. They want to get rid of the problem. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. What do you have? I have nothing. Give me the boy's lunch. Jesus takes the bread and the loaves, and here's what Jesus does. He stands before God, and he says this. Thank you! And you know what happens? As a result of Jesus taking what he had, not what they didn't have, but what they had. Thank you! All of a sudden, those few loaves and those few fish fed over 5,000 men, not including women and children, not including women and children, and the Bible says that they had 12 baskets over. What the, what the disciples, see, the di disciples thought they needed to solve this problem by getting more food. Jesus solved the problem with gratitude. Let me say it again. See, the disciples thought that in order to solve this problem, I need more. I need more food. Jesus solves the problem with gratitude, not, 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 not grumbling about the things that I don't have, being grateful for the things that I do have. Who am I preaching to this morning? And all of a sudden, this gratitude grants greater things. All of a sudden, this gratitude grants greater things. And we think somehow, some way that grumbling is going to grant greater things. You know why? I think because we're so hustle and work-oriented and so goal-oriented that we think in order to get to my goal, I'm going to have to grind. If we're in this position with, the, with, with Jesus and the disciples, you know what we're saying? Okay, we got 5,000. What is the tactical way that we can come up? Maybe we can get a little bit of money from everybody. And, we're, and we, we come up with this grind mentality in order to accomplish our goals. I'm here to tell you, you want to accomplish real goals? You, you want to accomplish what I have seen, no ear is heard, like beyond your goals, 12 baskets left over type of greater things. Sometimes you don't need more grind. Sometimes you just need more gratitude. Gra gratitude for what? What did Jesus say thank you for? <laughs> this gets really humorous to me. He doesn't say thank you for the thing that, 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 that is magnificent that everybody would see. This was not like, whose lunch was it? It, it, don't you love dads? I always love the dads that, that like, sometimes I'll be camping, and you always know, like, when the dad's there, when you're like, oh, we forgot the matches, and, like, the dad's like, I knew you'd forget matches. I have five packs in the back of my car. Like, <laughs> this is not the type of person that we're talking about that had the lunch. The Bible says that it was a boy's lunch. In other words, it's, it's, the, it's the thing that everybody else would bypass and look over as insignificant, that Jesus says, give me that insignificant thing that you're looking over. Give thanks for the thing that looks insignificant. I'm here to tell you today that you don't think that you have what you need to meet the problem that you're up against to answer the problem that you're up against, but you actually do. You're probably just overlooking it because it looks like a boy's lunch. It's the insignificant thing. I don't know how many times I'll be in the house and be like, hey, babe, I need cash. I got to pick something up at the store. And, and this, this happens to me. I'm like, babe, I need cash. I don't have cash. And my son Elam will come and say, dad, I have, 
I have, I have some money in my, in my piggy bank. You can use that. And I said, no, not that. Because no. it's like kids' money in my mind. Like, I'm not using no, 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 no kids' money. I, I, I overlook what's actually in my house. There's some people here today that you're overlooking what's in your house. And at the second we start to overlook what's in our house, we will prohibit ourselves from experiencing the thing that God wants us to experience. I think most of the times, once we can actually, and this is not a new message for some of you. You've heard this type of conversation before. But I think you're tend- again, you're so hard. Can I just, like, go here? Because I'm going to, like, preach this so much this year. This whole idea that you, the, your world is not going to get fixed by hustling externally. It's, it's, what is gratitude? Gratitude is not an external hustle. It's an internal hustle. Why? Because the greater things that you need, can I tell you, you're not chasing greater things. Greater things are actually within you. But here's the deal. They're, they're in seed form. They're, they're, in, they're in seed form. So everything, can, I'm going I'm to say it throughout this year because you're eventually going to get it. The thing that you need is not external, it's internal. But it's in seed form. How, well, how do, I, how, do, how do I know? See, you don't even, you don't know what you possess. Why don't you know what you possess? Because it's in seed form. So every problem that you'll encounter in life, God has already given you everything that you need to solve that problem. But it's not external, it's internal. You're, you're overlooking it. Well, then what am I supposed to do if it's in seed form? You may not know what you possess, but you do know what every seed needs, don't you? you give me a handful of seeds. What seeds are these? I don't know, but we can find out. How? Watch me water it. Watch me put some sunlight on it. This is what I'm talking about. What is gratitude? Gratitude is one of those principles that sunlight. It's, 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 it's watering. And the, and the more grateful I am, all of a sudden it starts to produce. And what does it produce? Oh, the problems are being solved. See, problem solving should not be heavy. It should be a byproduct of a life that is inwardly hustling. I, 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 man, you want to get me upset? Come try to ask me what I'm working on. I will hustle you. I will just, I will finesse you with my language so fast. You, you're gonna ask, what have you been, what have you been doing? How have things been? What have you been working on? Because it shows me where your value system's at, bro. I, I wish most of us would. What have you been doing? I'm just working on being more patient. Working on being more grateful. We're working on being more present. Working on being more there with my kids and loving my family more. Why? Because if we're gonna change our lives, we're gonna have to change the narrative of our value system. We're gonna have to value rest more than we do work. We're gonna have to value gratitude more than we do grumbling. This, this idea that I gotta go within me. See, and most of us, once we identify that we have something that we're been overlooking because it's insignificant, we would think that the answer is the boy's lunch. But, but it's really not the boys' lunch. You can't fix it with the boys' lunch. The boys, you can't fix it with a couple loaves and a couple fish. No, 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 it's bigger than that. It, it's, what, it's what it represents. It's not trying to fix it with the thing that's insignificant. It's being grateful for the thing that you see as insignificant. You hear me? So, so it's not, thank you for this boys' lunch. How do I get this boys' lunch? To, this is where we would go. Okay, we have a boys' lunch. How can we, maybe we can break it into really teeny tiny pieces. Maybe the guys don't need to eat. We would try to solve it with the little that we have. Some of you are trying to solve the problem that you're up against with the little that you have. And the way that you solve the problem is not with the little that you have. It's being grateful for the little that you have. What am I talking about? Bread and fish. Where? In the insignificant, in the mundane, in, in the routine. You're thinking too complex. It's in the routine. It's in the mundane. In the mundane, there's always bread and fish. What am I talking about? Bread. Bread is interesting because bread has a recipe. There could be monkey bread. There can be rye bread. There can be, funny, it's a monkey bread first, right? You know? <laughs> Lance, Leah, Lance knows we're all about that monkey bread. Okay, so you got, you got wheat bread. You got white bread. Here's the thing about all kinds of bread. It has a recipe. Recipes can be taught. Okay, so, so when it comes to bread, bread can be taught. I think one of the things that we overlook so much of the time that we're not grateful for is the things that you've learned along the journey. The, the things you've been taught. Sometimes, it's funny, to, it's funny being human. You start thinking that, that you just always known stuff. Isn't that funny? Like, I think all the time that, okay, and this is, this is me. This is how ungrateful I can be sometimes. We need a game plan. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do this and it produces, and we do this and it produces, and it's like, okay, cool, that worked. On to the next thing. And I start thinking that it worked because I worked it. And I miss out on the fact that it only worked because I worked it because somebody taught me how it worked. There is a, the Bible says that pride comes before a fall. You want to you experience the opposite of greater things? Start acting like you're, you just know everything and you've always known everything. 
Some, what am I talking about? Sometimes, I'm not talking about things. Sometimes the thing that you got to be great. God, thank you for the way that you wired my brain to work. Thank you for the things that I know. God, maybe even on the opposite side of that. I don't know much, but thank you for using me, God, and giving me the mindset, the mentality that I have. Thank you for the things that you have taught me. Thank you for this bread. What am I talking about? The, the, the insignificant things, the things that you have been taught. Can I just remind you, business owner, that you think you're really dope? It's not you. You're not that smart. Can somebody else in this room be really encouraged who doesn't feel smart? God doesn't require you to be smart. He just be, requires you to be grateful for the smarts that you have. Thank you for this bread. Thank you for this thing. Thank you for this thing that has been taught. But it's not just bread. There's fish. See, bread can be taught, but fish have to be caught. And, 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 and caught is all about what? Environment. In order to catch fish, it's not just bait. You have to have bait. You have to have the right time of year. We have to have the right temperature of water. You have to have the right place, right time. It's all about environment. See, there's things in your life that you've been taught that are conscious, but then there's other things that you've caught that you think are insignificant. You think it's just a part of your life and how you've been, but no, it's been as a result of the environment that God has allowed you to be in. What am I talking about? Being grateful for the journey that you've walked. Some of you despise your journey and you despise the very thing that will position you to answer your problems. What am I talking about? Being thank, being God, thank you for the things that I've been taught. Thank you for the things that, uh, that I've caught, the environments that I've been allowed to be in. I, I think about the, the, these moments. May we never, may we never become cold-hearted to the fact that we get to come into this place and hear worship leaders lift their voice. What am I talking about? There's, there's an environment that God allows you to be exposed to. And you think that your anxiety went away just because you showed up to church? No! God puts you in an environment. And when Drew lifts his voice and sing, when the team lifts their voice and sings, all of a sudden things start to break. And you think that you think that, oh, it just, no, 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 you caught something. You, you, you caught, may, may we never become comfortable just coming into this space and just thinking, oh, it's just church. No, I'm catching something when I'm in here and it may not be significant, but if I can be thankful for the things that have been caught, all of a sudden God can open up doors to do things that I could not do on my own. Not just things that have been taught, but things that have been caught. Can I tell some of you, stop despising your journey. There's things that I look back on. You ever look back on a picture when you were like in sixth grade or junior high or high school and you think, oh, look at that hairstyle. Boy, oh boy. Don't look at that. We hide those pictures, right? Can I tell you that you're, there, there's things that you caught in your journey that actually are preparing you for your future? Here's the problem when you shame your past, and I've done this within church because there's been things that I experienced, and I, sometimes you forget that it's all of the... See, when people see a tree... They look at the tree, but it's the roots that make the tree. And I'm here to tell you, even if your past has been ugly, maybe you've learned things not to do. Be grateful for it. What else are you, what else are you gonna do about it? Continue to grumble about it? Grumbling, grumbling doesn't produce greater things. Gratitude produces greater things. Be, being here, because here's, here's what happens. Understand this, and we'll try to wrap this up. Here's, here's what happens. When you despise your past, I'm gonna say this slow. You program your psychology to despise your present and your future. So, no, no, listen, 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 listen again. When I, dis when I say, I wish, I wish that, I wish, when I look back and, oh, that was just stupid. Oh, that was just, when you shame your journey, you program your mind to shame what you're going through now, your present, when you get to your future. I'm here to tell somebody today that gratitude for the things that not just you've been taught, but the things that you've been, God, thank you. Thank you for the places. And can I tell you something? Can I tell you the things that I've learned from my parents, the things that I've learned from my dad? Most of them have not been taught. Can I tell you that growing up, my, my parents never told me to read the Bible. Can I, can I tell you something? My parents never told me, hey, you need to sit, pray. We're at prayer time. Yet, my parents, my parents never even sat down and taught me the principles of like contending for healing and believing that God is a healer. Yet, when my kids get sick, the first thing that I, I think, I don't think get the medicine. You know the first thing that I think? I think, babe, let's pray. Why? Was it taught? No, it, it was caught. It was caught based upon what? The environment that I was in. What if, what if the breakthrough that you're really looking for is not on the other side of more grind. What if the breakthrough that you're really looking for is on the other side of more gratitude? <laughs> and if you don't believe me, the reason you wouldn't believe me is because you still have confidence that you can do it on your own. 
Well, let me show you. How is that working for you, bro? Aren't you tired? Aren't you worn out? So if you believe in God, invisible God, you don't have the courage to believe in his invisible ways. What if the way that this thing really works is just, God, I don't have what I need. Yeah, but what do you have? I got, I got fish and we got loaves. Okay, bring it here. Thank you. Thank you for what? God, thank you for the things that I've been taught because I didn't teach myself this journey that I walked. I didn't walk it on my own. You've been teaching me and leading me by your unseen hand when I didn't know that you were teaching me and leading me. God, thank you for the environments that you put me in, even if I didn't understand them, even if they seemed silly, even if they didn't make sense, even if when I get to my future, I look back and think, what the heck was that? God, thank you for my root system because it is the roots that has made me a strong, growing, flourishing tree. God, thank you. Gratitude. Gratitude grants greater things. Gratitude, <laughs> over and over, gratitude grants greater things. But see, you won't believe that if you're just so overwhelmed with tragedy in your questions, you have no space to actually see what matters and what doesn't. Especially in our world, you'll be continually baited into this idea that you can work for it. And I'm a work guy. I think ethic is important. I think some of those things, but they're important from the inside out. You hear me? This principle of, of, of grateful. God, thank you. I think, I think some of you, honestly, I'm going to give you an opportunity before we go. And I think that if you, I think it would surprise you. If you could just, well, I don't have anything. It's not about the things. It's not about the things. See, greater things is not about things. It's, it's about having a greater life, and that greater life produces great things. Do you get the things? You get the things. The things are going to be there, but it's not about the things. It's a byproduct of what? The great seed that God has placed within you. See, greater things are really about being connected to the greatest thing. What, what, what? And, and again, making an inference here, but, but think about this. Jesus takes the bread and he takes the fish. And I think, it's, I think it's also like this picture of, you know, he said over and over that he was the bread of, like, the bread of life, right? Jesus is the bread of life. Okay, so I find this, this interesting. Bread and fish, he's the bread of life. I find it interesting the disciples were also fishermen. So what he's holding is almost this picture of God working in tandem with man. Like, thank you for what? Thank you for this picture. God, thank you that, that I get to work in tandem with God. See, I think, I, I, I don't know. When he says to his disciples, remember you taught it last week? He said, I, I, I got to go away because when I go away, um, the things that I've done and greater things will you do. Well, what is, what? What, 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 what greater things? And it's funny because he doesn't, remember you said, let me define greater things? He doesn't tell him what the greater things. I think he doesn't tell him the greater things because he doesn't know what the greater things are. I think that Jesus in his ride was all God, but he was, all, he was getting this experience of getting to work in tandem with God. Meaning, I think some of the things that Jesus experienced were just as much a surprise to Jesus as they probably were everybody around him. But God is fascinated in working in tandem. But see, the disciples, here's, here's the thing. The disciples at this point, this was pre-Christianity. This was pre-redemptive plan. Like, this is pre-Jesus dying and, and, and us being to stand before God in our imperfection, right? Like, we couldn't do that. They still had to make sacrifices to get God to, you know, to accept them back then. So, so really, the disciples got to witness Jesus being all man, but also God, working in tandem with God and what that produced. So when Jesus goes to heaven, the narrative shifts. Now... You don't have to watch me work in tandem in God. The reason I have to go is because when I go, all of a sudden, because of this redemptive plan thing, you get to work in tandem with God. What is that? That's the greatest thing. The fact that God chose us to choose us to use you to work out this thing called life, that you get to work in tandem with the creator, the one who put breath in your lungs. You're not just breathing his air. You're breathing it with him. You're doing it with him. You're solving problems with God. And the byproduct of working in tandem with God is what? The greatest thing gives greater things. <laughs> the greatest thing. The fact that I'm here and you want me and we get to work together. What are we going to do? I don't know, but it's going to be a wild ride. Jesus says, you're going to do stuff like this, and you better get ready because there's seeds in you. You don't even know what's in you. <laughs> you don't even know what's in you. Well, how am I going to find out? Am I going to keep chasing the rabbit? Keep trying to build a bigger business? Keep trying to solve my family problems? No, go within you. Water those seeds. With what? Internal hustle. Gratitude. Gratitude. Close your eyes with me. I'll cross this room. God in the midst of the pain that's here because <laughs> the brutal reality of our lives is we're, we, we're, we're dealing with pain. We're dealing with things that we don't understand. Would you give us clarity as we take space for perspective? 
I want to give you an opportunity. We're not going to be here long, but I want uh, Drew just to sing through something. And whatever hit home with you today, maybe for you it's just like you realize you're just going, 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 going. You're not going to, I don't know who this is for, but you're not going to solve the problem with your kids by continuing to harass and shame and make your kids feel bad about what they're doing, about what they're, the, the only solution that you're going to find in that is by going, by giving yourself space to see what it is that you're dealing with. And when you see space, then you can be grateful for things that you used to shame. Being grateful for things, some of you, the thing, the thing that you're complaining about, the, th- the, th- the thing that you're grumbling about, you need to be grateful for. Ah! The employee that you're grumbling about, you need to be grateful for. Because, why? Because there's bread and fish in it. You're learning something. You're catching something. And you don't see it because you think it's messing you up, but it's preparing you for the place that God's going to take you. And if you'd be grateful for what you have, trust me, in the end, 12 baskets left over, your hustle could have done that. You would have solved that problem by the skin of your teeth. Ooh, we made it. I hope that you don't think that just because you can achieve achieve some things. But what does God have? can't do on your own that you only find when you work in tandem with him. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? Would you do it only you can do in these next few moments? Right where you just take a deep breath. Never say that you know. Oh yeah, just opening your heart. Sometimes just taking a deep breath in, deep breath out. Oh, I could Ooh. never say thank you enough. Just to chill. You're here. You're here. You're here. You're here. You're here. Oh, I could never You're here. say thank you enough. You're here. Focus on the right problem. Focus oh, on the right problem. You already have the answer. You're made to solve problems. He's not trying to get you to a problem-free life. He wants to work with you. He wants to work with you. He made man. He walked with him in the cool of the day. He's been fascinated with doing things in tandem with humanity. Greatness is in you. Greatness is in you. You're not chasing it. You're not chasing it. You're not chasing it. You're watering it. You're tending to it. You're watering it. You're tending to it. It's inside you. The greater things are a byproduct of the greatest thing. Yeah. Come on, where you at? Where you at? Holy Spirit, would you move upon our hearts? Would you do what only God could never say Somebody needs to hear this. You don't need another goal. You just need more gratitude. You don't need another goal. You just need more gratitude. You don't need another metric. Metrics are good, but you don't. You need more gratitude. Watch God do more than your metrics can do. Twelve baskets full. Twelve baskets full of extra. Twelve baskets full of leftovers. Set your goal, but get to them by gratitude. Set your goal, but get to them by gratitude. Set your goal, but get to them by being thankful for the things that you've been taught and the things that you've caught. And it's not me, but it's Him. Posture of your heart to look a little bit higher than what you're facing. There's hope for you. I'm here to tell you there's healing for you. There's breakthrough for you. And it may not come how you thought it was going to come, but it's on its way. I dare you to go within you. I dare you to be grateful for the things that seem insignificant. God, we lift our voices to you. God, we look to you. We open our hearts to you. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. out here in just a second. I believe you need change in your life. So if you need change in your life, don't leave this place and then start calling the church and complaining and I need change. We're going to get it right here. Can you take your hands and just put them out in front of you? Just take it. Just do it. Hands out in front of you. And I want you to, sometimes this is just good for a mental picture. It's not like deep and spiritual. It's like a mental picture. I want you to picture the things that have been frustrating you, the things that maybe seem so insignificant and sometimes they're a little bit irritable. It could be very easily to be irritated by the fact that this one boy had a lunch and nobody else had nothing. This is human tendency to see what other people have and be frustrated with it because you don't have it. 
How come I'm not there yet? 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 But if you could be thankful for the thing that's irritating you, because maybe it's fish and loaves, maybe it's teaching you something, maybe you're catching something. For what? For your future. For your future. All I know is when you get to the end of it, you're going to have 12 baskets full. So right where you're at, can you just, can you just, and I know some of you, like, guys, I get it. I'm a human. Like, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> if you only knew. So picture this, and I want you to, some of you are going to have to really dig deep because it's hard, but I want you to say thank you. Like, think about this. They think they need more food. Jesus solves it with gratitude. All Jesus does is say, give it to me. Thank you. And then he hands it back out. That's it. That's it. Over your, out of your mouth. Drew, just sing it again. And between you and God, can you just, God, whatever it is, whatever, what is, what are the fish and loaves for you? What is the insignificant thing? What's the frustrating thing? God, I say thank you. Some of you have to dig deep. It almost feels wrong to say thank you for it. It almost feels wrong to say thank you for it. How could I thank you for something so small? How could I thank you for something so small? Because you're realizing that you can't fix it with what is so small. But if you would acknowledge that he gave you the small that you have, he could take the small that you have and multiply it. Thank you. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. God, thank you. Thank you the fact that my marriage hasn't fallen apart. Thank you that we're still holding on by a thread. God, thank you that my family hasn't gone hungry. I don't have everything that I want and the business isn't moving like I want it to. But God, thank you. Some of you have nothing. God, thank you for the fact that my, my mind even craves more. God, thank you for the fact that my mentality actually desires more. That I think outside the box. That I grasp, I grasp that there is more. Thank you for that, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. God, we say thank you today. God, we say thank you. Our hearts are full of gratitude. And we believe that gratitude grants greater. says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We talk a lot about our life here on earth, but we believe, man, we spend forever somewhere, heaven or hell. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You've never made a decision to place your faith in Christ, to get God to see you, not just based upon your perfections, the road that you've walked, see you through the perfection of Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity. All across this room, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to pray this prayer out loud. Nobody prays alone because we're a family. I want you to say this. Say it with conviction in your heart. Can we say, in fact, all of us, just reminding our soul what we believe, what our value system is. Our value system is not temporal and temporary and here and carnal. Our, 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 our value system is eternal. We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. You say this out loud. Say, Jesus, today. I believe in my heart, and I say out of my mouth, you are the Son of God. I believe that you lived for me. I believe that you died for me. I believe you came back from the dead for me. Say this, today I call you my Savior. Say I choose to make you my Lord. And say this, help me to live the life that you made me to live. Show me greater things. Say that part again. Say, show me greater things. In Jesus' name. Everybody said. Can we put our hands together and celebrate that decision? Thanks for listening. If this impacted you and you'd like to partner with us, go to celebrationchurch.cc give to help us reach people with the message of Jesus. 